guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. All right, all right, all right. Quadcast Nation, solving wellness community. We are back with the one and only Michelle Sorensen clinical psychologist and uh, like recurrent guest of the quadcast. I, I, I'm lost track, Michelle. I don't know how many this has been, but uh, you're, you're, a, you're a seasoned vet at this point. It's, yeah, it's been nice to <laughs> go through the pandemic. We've been talking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And this is this is great because we're talking about healing now because we're on the better side of the pandemic. So before beginning, I just want to make a couple of announcements. So We've made an, a, a transition when it comes to solving wellness. We want to make it more accessible to, to more people. So we're, we've added a Facebook group, which has been amazing. It's a private group. We're up to about 360 members where we get to talk about how to connect, how to get healthy again, how to think about what we eat. And, and it's been an incredible experience. And it's on Facebook dot com backslash groups backslash solving wellness so please check it out and uh, you you'll you'll see the likes of myself and michelle all over the place um so yeah it's real it's we're really proud of that uh, initiative so why are we here today we are connecting with michelle talking about reconnecting you know when we look back at the pandemic and how much isolation that was happening how much um loneliness was occurring and, and anxiety and depression. And I mean, these things are, can leave a significant footprint moving forward. So we wanted to talk about how we rebuild this, how we get connected again, and maybe just Michelle putting you on the spot, you know, in terms of, you know, what you were seeing, like what was the real driver of wanting to put this show together? Like what were you seeing either on a personal level or a professional that made you want to talk about this topic? Well, I was 
Yeah, great question. I was thinking a lot about, I think a lot of us therapists have been thinking a lot and working a lot on the idea of regulating the nervous system with people. Um, but I've been doing some more reading lately, like getting back into my trauma work. And I was thinking about the connection between how we have to regulate ourselves. I mean, this is definitely true for healthcare providers, and I know you're passionate about supporting them, but it's true for everyone. Like whether you're a mom or you're a teacher or a doctor or a pharmacist or a nurse, or um, like it's hard to support other people unless you have your own resources. And I think a lot of people are doing a lot of healing right now, right? So that helping yourself is so key to helping others and to reconnecting again. It's so true. It's so true. I see it on a daily basis, like your ability to treat others and be at your best really depends on how you what you're going through, you know, and and, you know, us collectively trying to provide people with the tools to build themselves up again, I think is extremely, extremely important. And, and you know, you, you mentioned like the trauma of of life. And, and I must say, like, when I hear you reference trauma, like what what truly does that mean? Because like to me, you know, when I think of trauma, I think of the extremes and, you know, and I think there's a almost like a scale or like a grade almost of mm. when, when thinking about trauma. Yeah. Continue. Yes. Honestly, I think that's a huge thing for us to think about. And for people in healthcare, definitely in psychology to keep educating people about like pe- we need people to better understand what they're experiencing now or times moving forward and be able to put some context to it. So yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, one is that humans do experience trauma. We're wired to survive. We can recover. Like that's a basic thing rather than people labeling and being like, oh my gosh, I'm having symptoms of trauma. Like this is it. This is the way I'm going to be. No, we are wired to recover and survive, which doesn't mean everyone does, but many, many people do. Like I was reading one of my books the other day and there was a like a a bit of research cited where they said like when they study people in a natural disaster, nine out of 10 people will grow and learn and get back to their previous state of functioning or even better. Like that's really remarkable to think about an earthquake or like something terrible happening. But yeah, human beings are really very resilient naturally. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of a continuum, you could kind of think about stress like stress is small T trauma, like, you know, you're trained to work in the ICU. So if there's a really, you know, tough night in the ICU, you wouldn't probably describe it as, you know, PTSD trauma, but it is, it can be a traumatic stressor. So there's like stress, there is PTSD, which means people aren't recovering. They can't work or they can't function at home, take care of their children. Like it's now become a disorder. And that's really, you know, that's the far end of the continuum and luckily not the norm, but very, very significant for those for whom it occurs. And then there's developmental trauma. And I mean, I know you've been a big advocate for children in the last few years, and I've been passionate about that too, because we know that there's long lasting effects of developmental trauma, right? And part of the whole, uh, like the initiative you were involved in, right? It was like resources, let's put extra effort, like more play, more healing for kids, not just removing restrictions, the urgency to normal, right? Yeah, urgency to normal, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's a great way of putting that, Michelle, just the, the continuum, because I think, 
you know, I could speak for myself at, at times you feel tough time justifying your emotions or, you know, like, Oh man, that's not, I shouldn't be complaining about this. I should, this shouldn't feel as difficult as it does. And, and, you know, you alluded to it in terms of the kids and, and other parts, but like, what were you seeing? Like what was some of the trauma that we were seeing throughout this pandemic with like uh, with your clients, for example? Yeah. Well, I, I hear about a lot of clients cause I supervise a team of therapists too. And I think there's been different trends, but I actually remember last summer. So of course, if we look at, when people aren't well-resourced, when they're dysregulated, they're basically they're in fight or flight, right? That for different reasons, for different people, because the pandemic's been stressful in different ways for different people. Um, but last summer, I remember you and I did like a bit of a talk on social anxiety. So do you remember that part of why we did that is like, I think we were both hearing stories and like it was definitely a trend that I would hear clients say, um, and even people I knew like, gosh, you know, last summer, we didn't have vaccines, we didn't like, yes, cases had gone down, but like, I felt comfortable going to someone's backyard. And now here I am a year later, and cases have also come down. But I feel this dread, like I accept an invitation, and then I want to avoid it. And so part of it is the long term buildup of trauma. And I think again, right now, we're seeing it. I mean, always, there's different points on which people start to divide and there's tension but I think a lot of it is people are so dysregulated so things about you know masking or not masking all these kinds of things like in a way I think what we're seeing with the difficulty people are having maybe making decisions or communicating with others about it um, sometimes it comes across maybe as like at a community level like a bit of like we could use a bit more kindness and compassion but I think that people are now two years into the trauma, right? And there's a buildup. I don't, do you find uh, the same thing? A hundred percent. People, I mean, I don't know how to say, I don't know if this is a, a good to say, but it just feels like there's something off with a lot of yeah. us. Like there's just, right. we're not ourselves. And yeah. I think it's a buildup of anxiety and, and, and we've like being conditioned to worry. Like we've yeah. been, right. we've been on, like your the nervous system has been amplified for two years and been toyed with for two years yeah. saying, Oh, it's only going to be two weeks. Oh, um, you know, it's summertime. We're, we're on the better half of this. Oh, the vaccines now that we're good. Oh, you know, we're boosters now that we're good. Like all these kind of steps where we thought we would have some, uh, we're on the better side of things. And then people um, having these huge setbacks. I think also like Christmas and Omicron, I think that one was a, a big knock on for, for so many people where they were, you know, are we really shutting down schools again? Are we, yeah. you know, are really uh, adding restrictions again, almost two years deep. And I, I think, um, yeah. And then, yeah, deja vu. And then there's like people that had real life altering things. They lost loved ones. They, uh, lost their job or their, or their livelihood. Like there's so much, so many impacts throughout this pandemic. It's been yeah, there's huge traumas for sure. And you're right. It's the, um, like the intermittent nature of it, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's very dysregulating. I mean, my oldest daughter who's 15 said to me this week, Oh, you know, like people are actually going back to school after March break. This is the first break we've had where we actually go back. Wow. Like we're supposed to. 
And I was like, wow. oh my gosh, you're right. You know, like even after the summer, sometimes, well, maybe the first year more, there was a bit of a like, oh, now it's the second week of September now. But especially like with Christmas break and March break, it's uh, like last year they had Easter break and then they never went back, right? So that's so dysregulating. And my youngest two kids came home from school with all their stuff for March break. Now, apparently they were cleaning things out. And But when I saw them walked to the car, with their running shoes, like their indoor shoes, I had a bit of a traumatic reaction. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. No, like they're going back to school, but yeah, it's, it's dysregulating. Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely hear you. So yeah. to, to the listeners, like what, what can we do about it? Like we, we, we could recognize that, you know, uh, the trauma is on a continuum where, depending on where you are on this, on the, on the scale of things, you know, how do we heal? How, what are the, some of the measures that we can make to, to put ourselves in a better place? Okay, perfect. So first, let's, I'll just go through a list of like some ideas of what people can watch out for for themselves or in loved ones. Yeah, good point. That are signs that, again, we're not saying you have PTSD, but you have traumatic stress, and then we should look at regulation. So one of the things for people who really are, having like capital T trauma or, you know, they've experienced things as very traumatic. Um, This disconnection from your body. First of all, it's saying a lot of people are more familiar with these days. There's a lot more awareness around mental health, which is good, but there's also things like TikTok mental health. So it's kind of an interesting trend we have at the clinic where I'm like, how do so many clients know what dissociation is? Like five years ago, I never had a client who said I'm dissociating. But now they learn about it from social media, which is good and kind of interesting at the same time. So feeling outside of your body, like disconnected, not quite attached, like not feeling settled in your body. Even some people feel numb or like like they literally can feel almost like their head and their body aren't connected, kind of frozen. Um, Things that can be symptoms, like some of the things that could be symptoms of ADHD a lot of people have been diagnosed with ADHD because I think the stress has been a tipping point, like not being able to stay present, focused on a task. Um, Some of the behaviors we see associated with that, which I think all of us can relate to is like constant looking at devices, looking for more news, checking social media. It's almost like the way kids used to have like a baby blanket, kids and adults have these devices that are like a security thing. Um, so feeling like an observer, even when you can kind of perform, you don't really feel like in the moment, um, of course, things to do with acute anxiety, like, like a snot in your stomach all the time, feeling short of breath. So all that stuff that's to do, even shaking, like restless limbs, you can't stay still. So those are signs that you're dysregulated and we don't have to like, Sometimes it's helpful to diagnose or label, but we can just say, okay, I'm not okay. I kind of like the way you described it. Like people aren't themselves. And if you get into all the brain physiologically, that's kind of when we're like, we're at the old reptilian part of our brain. Like we're in survival mode, right? So some of the things you can look at, I mean, first of all, it's good just to be curious about what works for you because everyone's different. So like I'm someone like, whether it's at the end of a yoga class or I'm feeling anxious about saying like, if I put my hand on my stomach or my hand on my heart, that's very regulating for me, right? Some clients that I'll suggest that to, depending where you're at, like if you're not very connected to yourself or others, you're lonely, 
that almost might feel too intimate. So like another thing, I have actually been taking a course, learning some new regulation stuff and our meditation teacher was guiding us through one and you could do it over a period of time or it could be very quick where you kind of like hug your arms, almost like you're giving yourself a hug. And then you can even like, you know, as you kind of breathe, focus on your breath, you could put your hands in the middle of your chest, kind of on your sternum. And again, for some people like, this might, you know, or putting a hand on your cheek, the self-compassion might feel like too much, but maybe like kind of a little hug, like a little bit of pressure might stabilize some people. Um, stuff that's to do with meditation, but you don't have to sit and meditate for 15 minutes. So like, say if you have a gas fireplace, putting the gas fireplace on and instead of distracting yourself with TV, just kind of like watch the fire for a minute, you know, or you could light a candle and watch the flame because it's just bringing you into the moment. Um, taking a hot bath and like, again, not distracting, you know, maybe you usually listen to a podcast when you're in the bath or, but instead just trying to like treat it like a relaxation exercise, anything that's soothing that kind of gets your system regulated. I don't know if there's any ideas you have. To no, have. I well, first of all, I, I think it's important to, as you mentioned, Michelle, the, to recognize the signs. And I think that was great to bust out that list because, you know, I think some people, they might just say, they, they might not know what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. They might, they're like, man, why, am, why is my heart racing all the time? Why am I, why do I got that gnaw in my stomach? Why is my head in the clouds? Why do I feel foggy headed? And realizing that this is, you know, a direct link from what, what people have been going through. Um, but I love the tools, Michelle. Like, I, I think this is, you know, it's all about being practical for so many people. Cause you know, there's these, all this can be quite overwhelming. Um, yeah, the, starting small, right? Like I yeah. recently went back to yoga. I hadn't been regularly going to yoga. I know your wife is a big yoga fan and did her teacher training. Namaste. Namaste. So like you could be at your desk and I call it mini yoga. You could do one pose, right? Like Lotus pose is like, as you start to do namaste, hands are heart. Like for a lot of people say, especially you used to go to yoga and you would do that in class. Like, it's like a cue. You could do just that one thing and it brings you back to how you felt at yoga. And so Lotus pose is like, you put your hands at your heart. And again, you could be at your work from home desk. And then you kind of lift your arms up and you can like spread them out. But if people start small, if they think, oh, I should get a yoga membership, it might be next week, the week after, like you keep putting it off. But if you say, oh, remember I used to do like downward dog, upward dog, and I used to do a flow, I'm going to do one flow. So yeah, just incorporating small things, right? Yeah, I, I like it. I one The ones I like, I must say, um, I got on my uh, Apple Watch a breathing app. You just, uh, it's, well, I guess it's, is it breathing or meditation? I can't remember. And it has like the visual. Mindfulness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mindfulness. Yeah. And uh, uh, one of them is, a you know, it paces your breathing. And man, your heart rate you'll, will dip down. All of a mm -hmm. sudden, you're just more in tune. Yeah. And just, uh, even just for one minute, you know, yeah. a couple of times during the day. Yeah, I always, my, 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 for me, yeah, the breathing exercises always seems to be effective of just bringing them back. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's some the real great apps, right? Like 
I use Budify. I have that on my phone or I've mm. had it on my phone for years. And a lot of my clients really like it. Um, some people really like the Calm app. Actually, my sister and my daughter were joking around because uh, my daughter's a Harry Styles fan. And there's a bunch of celebrities, including Harry Styles, who read you a bedtime story on the Calm app. Isn't that uh-huh, awesome? Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> my sister was like, hey, I was listening. like at Christmas when we were together. She's like, I could listen to Harry Styles read me a bedtime story. Like whatever works, right? It's soothing yeah Yeah. amazing amazing um i mean the other component of this too that you know i was thinking about or we were thinking about you know when it comes to healing is i must say like we got we got we got to see each other uh recently and and connecting with others and it was it was so special to me like it was really grand being able to can uh, like see other people and talk and and smile and and recollect about great times and but one thing I, I I've heard people say is that's a challenge to in in and of itself to like to try and get get back into social situations and 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 to, sure. and to reconnect and so I don't know if you got any tips or recommendations on how to recreate some of that magic but I I must say at a personal level I I found it so amazing. Yeah, I think it is so important. And I agree. Like, well, for me, one of the things I love the most about being in a yoga class again is like, I'm not in groups of people anymore. And like, we are tribal people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have to remember that human beings, whether we think of clans or tribes, like, I love evolutionary psychology. That's how we started. And um, actually, like, a really interesting thing is if we tune into it, even just being around other people, especially if they're not scared, if they're not super anxious, you have this thing called co-regulation where they can down-regulate you just from being around each other. Like, and that's part of the healing. So my first uh, like normal capacity yoga class I was in, I was like in Shavasana at the beginning, beginning relaxing. And then I you know, sat up when the teacher started class and the class had filled up. And I actually have to, and I know like, I totally understand some people might find that too much right now and that's okay. But for me, like, I love being in a group of humans. It just made me feel so happy. Like for, I didn't even have to do the yoga just to look in the mirror and see like all these people's faces. Right. So yeah, that like remembering that we regulate from being around other people, but further to what you said, for some people, understandably, it feels very anxiety provoking. Like, when our little self and wellness group had our get together, you know, maybe some people felt anxious going because we're all out of practice. And so if we normalize that and we say, oh, so where a lot of people go when they get anxious is what's wrong with me. And especially strong people that don't think of themselves as anxious. Well, anxious people can be strong, but you know what I mean? People who think of themselves as not prone to anxiety. I've actually heard people you know, like maybe a tough guy who didn't usually get anxious and hits a period of something that makes him anxious saying like, am I one of those crazy people now? Like catastrophizing. Mm. So if people meet their emotions, it sounds so therapist-like, but if you meet it with kindness, so we have this thing called the self-compassion break, like mindfulness is identifying what you're feeling, common humanity, lots of people feel this way is the second part. And then the third part is like apply kindness and compassion so yeah say you're invited to a gathering and you've decided that it's safe for you to go 
you're okay with it. But then when the day comes, you have this anticipatory anxiety. If you actually normalize it and you kind of balance out your thoughts, and again, maybe you do one of the things we just described, like you put your hand on your heart or you ask your partner or even your kid to hold your hand. That's another great thing. Like you even can hold your own hand and it's like a cue and try and just approach it. Like this idea that it's okay to be anxious. And even if you say, I'm just going to go for a half hour or like someone's anxious to go back to the gym, I'm just going to walk in, you know, get my bearings and maybe I won't stay and work out like just to approach it rather than avoid. Wow. Just as you said, baby steps, you know, and, and uh, I mean, I really feel like that self-compassion piece is, is, is an, such an important aspect, an important tool when it comes to getting through these times, you know, like, I, I like the steps. So being mindful, identify where you're concerned, like where, where you're, what you're, what you're feeling and realizing it's a common, it's common. Like it's, it's, you're not the only one feeling that way. And, and just being compassionate, being like, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. And just realizing that you're not super, you're not, you don't need to be superhuman. You don't need to be Superman or superwoman. You just, you, you know, it's okay. I, I don't know. I, I just hearing that, I think uh, for a lot of folks is, is going to be healing in and of itself. Well, and actually, this is kind of how panic attacks or panic disorder develops is if we don't do that. So the panic cycle, and of course, with everyone so anxious now, you could like, I don't know, a kid who hasn't written exams in person, the first time they go to write an exam in a big auditorium, like a university student. I mean, do you remember that? I used to feel sick to my stomach. Oh, yeah, man. You know, so can you imagine after not doing it for two or three years, it's going to be that much harder. But if they... If they think, oh my gosh, what's that feeling? I'm short of breath. So the key part is when we're anxious, if we make catastrophic misinterpretations, like we think, oh my gosh, I'm having a heart attack. Something's wrong with me. I'm falling apart. I can't write the exam. Rather than I'm anxious. Of course I'm anxious. It's okay. I can still do it. I'll do my best. Then what happens with those catastrophic thoughts is your physical sensations intensify because they're driven by anxiety. And then you get into this loop and you can be in a full-blown panic attack. So yeah, it's so important to work on balancing the thoughts, accepting the emotion, and still like, even if it's gradual, like approaching situations. If we keep avoiding, our anxiety will get worse. Absolutely. And I mean, I got to say, Michelle, just, just, this is such an important thing to address right now. As uh, I mean, the more that we're chatting about it, the more I'm thinking how important it is to to reach out to so much, not only like the public in general, but the youth. Like I think about so, how, what our youth must be going through, you know, like I know in Ontario this week. So we're doing this on March 23rd, 2022. Or two days ago, masks came off at schools for well, everywhere. And, uh, you know, little things like that in terms of, you know, the kids, how they feel with the change and every step of the way they're, they're throughout this last two years, there seems to be something that they're having to overcome. And I don't know, it just seems like it's such an important thing to talk about on how we get through these tough emotions, but at the same time, emphasize 
the need to connect. We need to, like, in my opinion, Michelle, this is something we need to be active with. Like, this is not something necessarily that has got to be passed over. And, and to come with it with a positive energy and a, and, and a positive lens of saying, hey, this was a tough time and it's still a tough time, but we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it together and we're going to come, we're going to get through it and, and come across a bit like better and some like yeah. with that attempt anyway. Um, yeah. And that idea of like building connections and yeah, investing like extra resources, whether it's extra smiles, homework help for kids, like we can't just remove restrictions. I mean, I'm, I think you and I are on the same page there. Like we have to invest. I remember early in the pandemic when there didn't seem to be, I don't know, not everyone seemed as worried about kids missing school as some of us. And I remember reading an article about the um, the big fires, remember up in Fort McMurray in Alberta, mm. and how those kids missed the last few year, months of their school year, like one school year, a couple of months. And the whole next year, there was extra help to help them catch up. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it became apparent we were going to have another rough school year, thinking like, how, how are we possibly going to help kids catch up, especially the most vulnerable who didn't go to school at all, who didn't have internet at home, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there needs to be that effort. And again, for any adults listening, the more you take care of yourself, like for people who right now are thinking, oh my God, I know my kid's so behind in math. I feel so guilty already. Like, is Michelle saying I haven't done enough? No, it's like, we've all been in trauma. If we as adults take care of ourselves, like a mom who says, no, I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to go see my friends. If you can make it happen, experiment with it, and you might find you're a much more patient mom the next day, you know, that things go better. Maybe even the whole week, like one night out with a few girlfriends or going for a walk twice a week with a neighbor, like that could be the thing that turns around your parenting. Yeah, you get rejuvenated. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, it's like you get... I mean, not to belabor the point, but you, you, to take care of others, you need to take care of yourself. If you're right of mind, you're that much more present and mindful of, uh, of your kids. And, and, you know, it's you don't need the distractions as, as much. You don't need to, you know, be on social media as much. I, I think it's I don't know, like I, I really think it's true. And I think people just a lot of parents people in general need that permission i feel like they they need to hear it that it's okay to take time for themselves and if there's problems getting in the way of this so like when you say about getting away from social media um getting away maybe from opening the bottle of wine every night or the extra beer like i say this with no judgment like how could people not develop addictive behaviors in the last few years of course Mm. people have and there's all kinds of addictions like it's not always the obvious ones but sometimes you can't, yes, it's, imp- it's important to try and address problems, but I like to say sometimes we have to move away from deconstructing the problem and construct new possibilities. So yeah, maybe someone who's like, you know what, I, I find working from home hard, but every morning I'm going to go out and get my coffee or go for a little walk. Like I'm going to create like a fake commute hmm. just to kind of get my day going. Maybe that one change means, yeah, you don't do other negative behaviors that you're not feeling good about. Like exactly. We have to build possibility, create resources, not just like, don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah. More, more action as opposed to restrictions. I, I, I love it. 
I love it. Yeah, it's but it's not easy, right? I mean, I know you're a fan of like the create one new habit, right? Like atomic habits. Yeah, and, that's one of my favorite. People need to be a bit regulated so that they can make that mindful choice. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I've been up 20 minutes on a Saturday morning. I could be, you know, reading a book. Like I know what that's like, where I always have books I want to read and that makes me happy. But it, it's like really mindful to say like, okay, put the phone over there or tell the kids they can grab their own cereal, like get away from the busyness and like make time for yourself. That's It's not easy to do, but I think for a lot of people, it starts with like regulating, just calming their nervous system. Absolutely. Michelle, any other thing that we we missed or need to highlight? uh, Well, just I think, so we've talked about ideas like noticing signs that you are dysregulated and that your nervous system, you're in fight or flight, you're having a hard time, then normalizing the emotions these physical ways, like holding your own hand, you know, hug, like take a nice bath, like things to help soothe. Like, so this idea of building resources. And then I just think the most important part we're talking about is if you show kindness to yourself, that's the big selling point, I think, for a lot of people that, yeah, in healthcare, if you can take a look, get a little getaway or a vacation for yourself, like it will pay off for other people. You'll take better care of your clients or your patients. You know, as a parent, you'll be more patient. A teacher, you'll, you know, have new energy for your work. Um, But this idea that, yeah, it's almost like what we're describing is you're needing to feel more connected to yourself before you can connect with others. So we do hear a lot of stories like in therapy these days, there's a lot of like family conflict, groups of friends, people who like, don't even know if they'll talk to their old friends. Like we know politically COVID related, there's so much division right now. Um, So if people think, oh yeah, if I'm compassionate to myself, I'll be able to have close connected relationships with others. Like I'll be able to start to turn my mind to that. Maybe there's some people it's easier to do than others, right? But like that, that really is the starting point. I mean, everyone, once they start looking for it, they'll see, oh yeah, when I'm kind to me, I'm nicer to others, I'm more patient. So I just think that's the most important part for us to take away. Kindness begets kindness. That's right. I love it, I love it. Yeah, it grows. And and it's a perfect time of year to work on this, right? People see each other more in the nice weather. I mean, we do have long, hard winters (laughs) here in Canada. And so it's a good time, like even just smiling at a neighbor, talking to someone else, walking their dog. Like there's, I think there's more opportunity and And seeing each other's faces a bit more. I was just going to say like seeing somebody, like I've I've personally noticed seeing each other's smiles a little bit more over the last couple of days has been rejuvenating. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you, you realize how much you miss it. Yeah. And maybe even people who still feel more comfortable masking, maybe just them seeing other people's faces, maybe that can be positive. You know, I I mean, I know in some settings like health professionals or food services, they're still masking, but probably just seeing their customers more might, might be good for them. I mean, there is no doubt. I know there's been a lot of debate about the harms versus benefits of masks. And I totally understand what, you know, how it's been an important tool, but like for kids, there's just, you know, when people say, oh, where, where's the proof of masking being hard on kids? Like there's decades and decades of child development 
research that makes it quite apparent, like babies learn to read facial expressions, like that's how they regulate. So yeah, it's, I hope we're able to keep going with more of that. Fingers crossed. (laughs) More than fingers, fingers and feet and legs. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Listen, well, Michelle, thank you so much. You. As 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 always, people, she is the founder and like I want to say I don't know if you're actually the CEO, but I'll call you the CEO of Resiliency <laughs> Clinic. I don't know what that even means, but yes, you can find her obviously uh everywhere, including um Facebook and Instagram, IG. My goodness. But as always, we really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you're doing. I appreciate it. Quadcast Nation, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Michelle Sorensen. All she does is drop knowledge. Leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook at Quadcast. Leave that five-star rating. You know we need it. You know we dig it the most. Solving Wellness. Go to solvingwellness.com. It's where we try and change the boogie for healthcare providers. Reduce that burnout. You know we could do this, people. Thanks so much for listening. And we're going to connect again real soon. Thanks so much. Peace.